Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. For some of you here, uh, many of you perhaps, you'll uh, have had the privilege of uh, purchasing a property at some point, a house in which to live. Uh, And you know that when you buy a a house, uh, there's this delay between uh, when you go and you make the offer, uh, and then after you have the offer received, that might take a day or two days or a week or who knows how long that takes, uh, then there's another delay from having had your offer received to finally getting to settlement day, be that a month, two months, three months, whatever you and the seller agree on. And in that period of settlements, a, a strange sort of time, isn't it? You're, you're waiting. Because here you have this place that you sort of own, it's kind of yours, you, you've agreed to buy it, uh, but yet it's, it's not yours yet. And uh, you uh, have to wait for that great settlement day to come. Uh, and I don't know about you, but uh, in that time you, you, you've probably spent ages driving past the place, uh, thinking what life could be like. Uh, when you get there, once settlement day comes, you look at all your old stuff in your, in your current house and you imagine where the couch is going to go and, uh, in, in your new place and you, you think about uh, all the nice things that you might be able to do uh, to and in your new home. It's a time of great anticipation as you await for settlement to come. Uh, And as we come to uh, the part of the story of Scripture that we're up to today, post the coming of Christ, post his ascension into the heaven, and uh, post his sending of the Spirit into our hearts, we come to a a point in the story of anticipation. Uh, There's a sense of us uh, having kind of arrived, we've made the offer, it's been accepted, and yet... We have to wait. The now but not yet, as it's sometimes called. But we're not waiting without knowing either. So it is quite analogous to that period of time when you're waiting for a house. Because as with a settlement, we know what the future holds. We know that what we're getting. And so it is with us. We know too what we are waiting for. Let us do a little bit of a recap before we dive deeper into this age of anticipation anticipation in which we now live. A bit of a recap. You know that we're looking at the big story of the Bible. You know that the big story of the Bible uh, can be hung together on the kingdom of God. And you know, you dream about these little phrase, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That's the big story of the Bible. It's a story seen in the Garden of Eden, uh, 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 the pattern laid out for how God's people ought to live. Uh, it's the, the story that fails, as uh, the, the kingdom perishes as Adam and Eve sin. It's the story that is promised 
to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that, that, that he will be, uh, his descendants will be God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. It is the story that is partially fulfilled in the people of God in the Old Testament in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah uh, and in the Gospels as we saw last week. It is the story of Jesus who comes and fulfills all the promises of God. He is the one to whom the whole Old Testament points. He is the one who brings God's kingdom to bear. He is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Last week, we saw how Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament promises. And if you want to go in depth in that, the sermon from last week is up online if you want to listen to it. But last week, what we saw is that the kingdom of God finds its fulfilment in Jesus, that the Old Testament has been pointing to Jesus, that Jesus is God's person. He is the true Adam. That is, he uh, he is the one who perfectly bore God's image as a man. He is the true Israel, the one who perfectly shone uh, to the nations what it meant to live as God's person. And he's the one who, unlike Adam and unlike Israel, did that without sin. Not only is Jesus God's person, Jesus is also God's place. We saw in the Garden of Eden that uh, uh, the, the reason the Garden of Eden was God's place is because God dwelt there. Likewise, the reason the promised land was God's place is because God dwelt there with his people in the tabernacle and then in the temple once it was Uh, built in a more permanent structure. And Jesus identifies himself in his ministry in the Gospels as the place where God dwells. He is God in flesh. He is God tabernacling among us, he says in John. uh, John tells us in uh, the opening chapter of his Gospel. He is God's presence with us, therefore he is God's place. And we saw how Jesus... Not only is God's person, not only is God's place, but he's the one who brings God's rule and blessing by uh, uh, opening up to us the promised new covenant, which the, the prophets testified to, that there would be a time when God would deal with sin and cause people to enter into his kingdom through faith and in the power of the Spirit. That comes through the ministry and work of Jesus on the cross. And I guess as uh, uh, we've spent weeks in the Old Testament building up, building up, seeing how this story unfolds and we get to Jesus like we did last week and we find out that Jesus is God's person, that Jesus is God's place, that Jesus brings God's rule and blessing, it, it begs the question, well, why are we still here now? Why is there more to the story? Well, Peter tells us in his letter, in his second letter, something of why it is that we're still here. 
He says that we're still here because of God's grace. Let me read to you from 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason why the story doesn't end with Jesus is because Jesus came to call us into his kingdom, to call us into repentance. And the story goes on because God wants as many people as possible to hear the good news, to repent and believe the gospel, to repent and believe the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. And we're still here as people who know what Jesus has done because we're meant to carry on the mission of Jesus in calling people into this kingdom. Jesus describes his job in Luke 19.10 as this, I, did not, I have come to seek and save the lost. And as he uh, finishes his time on earth after the resurrection, he commissions his disciples with the same job. He says in Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 and 19, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and seek and save the lost. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why are we here? Why does the story go on? Why do we live in a world post the coming of the kingdom in Jesus? To seek and save the lost. To make disciples. To see God's kingdom spread as far and wide as possible. As faith in him spreads as far and wide as possible. That is our job. That is why we are here. I once heard it put rather... Uh, almost crudely by a man named Jossie Chaka who's started a massive church planting movement in India. They plant something like a new church every day. It's just unbelievably crazy. And he, and he said to the, this small group of us who were listening to him one night, why is it that when you're saved, you don't just beam up to heaven instantaneously? Uh, How come it's not once you get saved, you go to heaven uh, and you get to skip the hard part of knowing you're sinful and knowing how bad the world is and and knowing uh, that things could be so much better? And he said, because you've been called to proclaim the kingdom. And that sounds exciting. It sounds exciting when you're in a room with Joshi Chako telling you about one church a day in India and all the awesome stuff that they're doing over there. Then you remember it's you and you've got to do stuff and you've got to count the cost. And actually it starts to feel rather daunting. And then you start remembering about people like Israel Falau who popped their head up and tried to say something, uh, whether they did it in a good way or not, about Jesus and and, uh, all that came to bear on them. It's a rather daunting thing, isn't it? That we've been called into the kingdom and now our job is to bring others in to tell them about the good news. And let me say, that would be totally and utterly impossible and beyond each and every one of us. In fact, it is. But for God not leaving us on our own. He sends the Spirit. The Spirit that comes 
at Pentecost, as the church remembered last week on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts 2, the Spirit comes at Pentecost with the gift of tongues, the gift of men and women speaking the languages of the people who were there, a sign of exactly what the Spirit is primarily to do, to enable people to hear the good news about Jesus. The Spirit comes to empower people for God's missionary task of proclaiming the kingdom. That's why the disciples can speak in the languages of the people who are there. The Spirit comes and dwells in all his people. Not just kings, prophets and priests as he did in the Old Testament, but in all believers, empowering them for their tasks. How? How does the Spirit do that? Well, there's a few different ways. Firstly, uh, it's the bringing of new birth that the Spirit does. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. They need to be born of the Spirit, Jesus says. Be born again by the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, if anyone thinks... That Jesus is who he says he is, the fulfilment of God's promises, the one who brings God's kingdom to bear, the one whom has saved you and called you and loved you. This is the work of the Spirit, bringing new birth in your heart. No one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God has gone to work in their hearts. This is the first and primary work of the Spirit, to enable the mission of God by enabling the people of God To see who he is. But he doesn't stop there. Not only does he bring new birth in enabling us to see who Jesus is. But he makes us more like Jesus. In John 16 verses in most of the chapter. In verses 7 to 11 in particular. John talks about the work of the Holy Spirit convicting of sin. Uh, and in doing so, in leading us into repentance. Paul talks about it as well in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5. I'll read it to you. We know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. The Holy Spirit comes powerfully convicting us of sin showing us where we fall short making us more like Jesus you know one of the things that often happens to people when they become Christians for the first time is they suddenly realize how bad they are they might have sort of gone along realizing thinking they were kind of okay they kind of understand that they're a sinner and they need Jesus and then they 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 fully commit and then they realize how bad they really are because the spirit of God now dwelling in their heart opens them up and convicts them of sin that's why we confess our sins in church week after week because the spirit of God constantly goes to work convicting us of areas of our life that fall short and that we need his help to transform us with the spirit brings new birth the spirit grows us in Christ likeness uh, and he does this by convicting us of sin but also growing us in good fruit So, Paul says in Galatians 5, 
verses 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These sorts of things are the work of the Spirit in the Christian life, helping us to be more like Jesus so that we're a good witness to others, so that we can do our job of being proclaimers of the kingdom. And that's the last thing that the Spirit does. He equips us to serve. This is where spiritual gifts come in, but also it is the the, the work of the Spirit who simply pushes us out into mission. Take the Apostle Peter, for example. He was a man who was terrified. After the death of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, he gets a little bolder, but he's still spending most of his time until Pentecost in an upper room, kind of thinking, wow, things have gotten interesting over the last 40-odd days. And then the Spirit of God comes, and filled with the Spirit, he is willing to put his life on the line to tell people about Jesus. We see it in Acts chapter 4. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, and he goes on and he tells them about who Jesus is. The Spirit makes him bold to speak about Jesus, even in the face of deep opposition. Likewise, we see in our reading today from 2 Corinthians 4, that we, though weak like jars of clay, are empowered by the Spirit to do the work of Christ. The kingdom of God finds its fulfilment in Jesus. We are called to call others into that kingdom. We're empowered to do that by the Spirit. Let's just spend a little bit of time now at the end thinking about how this all fits into the unfolding story of the Bible. Uh, The apostles in the scriptures in the New Testament call the time in which we now live the last days. So you can see that in places like 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 1, or James 5, verse 3, where they refer to the fact that we're living in the last days. And though we can now enter the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus, we also live in a time where we are waiting for it to to come to its final consummation. We live in a world that is fallen, that bears the marks of sin and that bears the marks of God's judgment against that sin, and yet we know the blessings of the kingdom that are to come and we call people to experience some of that now and to await its final completion. We live in the crossover of two ages, if you will. And I've got a a picture that kind of tries to explain this. This age, in its brokenness and its sin, and the age to come, kingdom of God in its completion, we live in a crossover time between Jesus' first and second coming. The now but not yet, as it is called. And in these last days, as God's people in the church, we see that we now fit into this story of the kingdom. In this now but not yet time, God's people is the church. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you. But you, God's people, are God's place because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes 1 Corinthians 6.9 verses 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. God's people is the church. God's place is the people. And God's rule and blessing comes with the Spirit helping us to live up to God's standards, to enjoy his blessing and to proclaim that to others. We are a church for Lindisfarne, but we are a church making disciples. That is, our, that is our niche. That is the primary way we can bring blessing to Lindisfarne and beyond. And so in this coming together of this age and the age to come, we await the perfected kingdom of God. And I want to finish by just giving you a little analogy of, of, of something of what I think it's like in the here and now as we wait for the Lord's return. I want you to imagine that you're uh, good at cooking. For some of you that might be hard, for some of you that might be easy. Uh, and I want you to imagine that You've got a delicious dinner on the go. The house is starting to fill with the, the aromas of whatever it is that you've thrown together or no, that you've masterfully crafted. You've started to taste some of the sauce that you've got your slow-cooked meat simmering in and it's, it's on point. It is just divine. And of course, you know that not yet can you enjoy its fullness because it's going to take a while to get this meat nice and tender and juicy and, uh, and everything that needs. But it is such a good meal and the reason you've cooked it is because you've invited a bunch of people to come and enjoy it with you. And so as the guests arrive, they too smell the aromas. Maybe if they're really good friends of yours, you get them to come and taste a little bit of the sauce because you're so excited at how good dinner's going to be. And as they come in, you tell them about how wonderful it is. They tell you about how good it smells. You share your joy. They share the joy. You sit and enjoy the smell and the, and the taste and you look forward to what will be. You set out the dinner tables and you enjoy one another's company. And then eventually dinner arrives. And I think that's kind of like what's going on for us now. We've seen what dinner will be. And we experience the taste and the smells. But we're still waiting for dinner to come. But in the meantime, my goodness, it smells good. It tastes good. And there's plenty to go around. So let us get on with the spirit-empowered job of inviting others to dinner, to the banquet, 
to the kingdom of God. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.